Uh, morning. Uh, before I start, I um, I, to be honest with you, I'm not much of a celebrator. Uh, I have my my normal face, and then I've got my my happy face, <laughs> uh, and so it's it's difficult to distinguish. Um, it can be difficult to see the difference between the two. But um, interestingly, in, in this season where kind of weekly we're having people share stories of how God has blessed them or God has healed them or God has moved amongst us, we need to make sure that we celebrate. We need to make sure that we are, we are giving ourselves to celebrating how awesome God is. We need to be on the front foot and let it stir us and shape us and lead us further into worship and praise and, and that leads us in further into him and that then leads us further into being changed more into his likeness and, and we just want to be that people on the front foot of celebration. And, uh, and you may be an exuberant celebrator uh, or you may be a bit more like me, um, but regardless of how you are, within our hearts we just want to be just so caught up in what God is doing, so thankful when he moves in somebody's life, so overwhelmed when we hear a story of healing and just think, God's awesome, that our God is awesome, that our God who, uh, you know, is not just a theory or is not just someone we read about, but is an awesome, mighty, powerful God who transforms lives, who saves people, who heals people, who goes into broken situations and makes things new again and again. He is alive and he is moving amongst us. And we want to celebrate that he's doing that. And so um, I didn't actually have planned in my sermon at all anything that I was going to get you to say to anybody else. And so uh, as I've neglected to include that in my sermon today, uh, I just want you to just go and tell three people with all your heart, our God is on the move. Now, you're actually going to have to do it. I mean, the sermon will start when you've gone and been obedient to what I've asked you to do. We want to learn to celebrate together. We want to learn to tell one another and tell other people what God is doing. We don't want to just have it on a Sunday and think that's nice and then go away and never think about it again until the next Sunday we gather. We want to be a people where celebration of what God is doing just fills our lives day in and day out. And if you are here today and you need healing, uh, it's great to hear about stories of healing. We have a God who heals. If you're here today and you need healing, uh, I just want to say to you, God can heal you, God will heal you. Uh, maybe as I preach, but at the end of this sermon, I'm going to give you the opportunity to you to come and be prayed for if you need to be prayed for. We want to pray that God would heal you. And so just that's you, if that's you, that's coming along at the end of this sermon. Uh, this day we're continuing uh, our series in the book of Ephesians, uh, looking at the amazing, joyful identity we now have of being one new family in Christ. Over the last few weeks, we've seen the Apostle Paul explained to us that the Church of Jesus Christ is this beautiful, multi-layered family of, of tremendous beauty. 
an amazing breadth and depth. And so as we've been going through Ephesians, it's almost like we've seen the Apostle Paul highlighting and focusing in on different areas of the church. And, and some days he's been talking about, well, here's some of the foundations. And, and some days it's about, well, this is it's God's family. And some days it's been, and it's his Jesus, and he's the cornerstone, and he saves you. And, and other days it's been about tearing down walls and, and uniting people together. And, and throughout the book of Ephesians, you find that he, he's highlighting here, and then he's highlighting there, and he, he's here. And, and it's kind of like this, this beautiful beautiful thing that he sees that he's just telling you different bits about and there's this bit and there's this bit and there's this bit and there's more about this and then there's this as he begins to share and reveal the church of Jesus Christ the different wonders and different perspectives and to begin this sermon I'd love it if we could just um, stand together and just read together uh, it'll be on the screen Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 to 22, which I've tweaked a little bit and just added all the we's into it where it says I. Jonathan talks about being part of family last week. And I just thought we could start by just reading this together. Now, it's always dangerous because who's going to start? So I'm going to start. So it says, so now we are no longer strangers and foreigners. We are citizens along with all God's holy people. We are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation and the prophets and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him we are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Now stay standing, I was going to pray for us. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to the wonder and the joy of what it is to be part of your church, the family of God. I pray that you would tear down wrong and sinful attitudes towards your church and that you would let genuine, heartfelt worship and praise break out among us filled with joy and thankfulness and wonder that we get to be part of your family, receiving your blessing and favour for your glory and your majesty. Amen. Amen. Do please take your seats. Um, today we're going to be in the first part of Ephesians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to be spending our time today. Okay, Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to be dipping in and out, so you'll need to keep your Bibles open. Uh, Ephesians 3 verse 1 begins, when I think of all this, I'll just stop there, so Paul starts by saying, when I think of all this, think of all what? The grace and mercy and saving power of Christ. When I, I think of barriers and walls being torn down. When I think of those who are far away being called close. When I think of the outcast finding a home. So, so Paul is thinking back to all the wonderful things he's just shared. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ for the benefit of you Gentiles, and he's about to burst into prayer. He's a He's about to start praying for them. He's about to start bursting into praise. But then he remembers, I oh, know there's some more things I want to say to you. 
So he goes, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming by the way that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read, if you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And we just pause there. I don't want to spend long here, but put really simply, Paul is saying that God always had a plan to save the world. In Genesis, when it all went wrong and sin entered mankind with all its destructive, pervasive and rebellious nature and everything that's followed from that, God wasn't caught by surprise. He wasn't there scrambling around trying desperately to find a plan. You didn't find him standing there thinking, oh, oh no, what do, I, what do I do now? I wasn't expecting this. What do I do now? God knows the beginning from the end and everything in between and nothing is out of his control. He already had a glorious plan to put in place to defeat sin and rescue us. God is never out of control. And that's, that's really what Paul's saying here. He's saying, look, from the beginning, when it all went wrong from the beginning, God, had, God knew. God had a plan. God knew what he was going to do. It's so important we understand that God is never out of control because if we're being honest, there are times in our lives when it doesn't always feel like that. There are times in our lives when we feel lost, when it feels dark, when what we're hoping for doesn't seem to be happening, when we don't understand what's going on. And although I can read that God knows what he's talking about, but in me it doesn't feel like it. And so we have to battle with that and we understand that God is never out of control. There is nothing beyond his reach. There is nothing beyond his power. There is nothing that is operating outside of him. And from the beginning we see that when sin broke into the world, God wasn't caught by surprise. And in the Old Testament there are hints of what this plan is, but it's a bit of a mystery. However, in the New Testament, the plan of God to bring a family to himself through his son Jesus is revealed. And Paul and others have the joy and privilege of being entrusted to reveal this mystery to the world. So it's Paul saying, God had a plan and he's entrusted me and some others to begin sharing it with you. What a privilege. Verse 6 then continues, and this is God's plan, that both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. And both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. So Paul has been given this privilege of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, taking it into the world. And you and I, we are also partakers in the unveiling of this mystery as Jesus continues to reveal himself to a desperate world through his church, through us, through you. So this isn't just something that happened for Paul in the New Testament, and that's nice. This continues now through us and through the church and through me and through you and through the person next to you. 
We are a privileged people. We have a wonderful call to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to a world crying out for desper- in desperation for someone to save them. We continue the work that begins in the New Testament. We have that beautiful privilege. I don't know, do we feel it's a privilege? I mean, sharing Jesus, depending who you are, is a bit scary. I think we feel a bit coward and a bit uncertain what to do. But, but really, we're, we're part of the line of this. We get to con- we're, we're continuing the unveiling of the mystery of Jesus Christ to a world that is desperate. I don't know always we think the world is that desperate. I think we convince ourselves sometimes that the world's just getting on with itself. Um, the world is dark and dying and needs a saviour. And it can dress itself up in any way that it wants. It's dark and dying and needs a saviour. And we are people of light. We are people of Jesus Christ. We are people who get to unveil this mystery to the world. And if you're here today, and I just want to say, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and maybe you're visiting and wondering what this is all about, I just need to tell you that Jesus is awesome, that he is someone who saves, that he is someone who transforms, that he is someone who heals, that he is someone who takes people who are lost and broken and makes them new and binds you up, that he brings freedom and that he brings joy and that he gives purpose and he gives meaning and not just for a moment but for forever. And that he wants to reveal himself to you today. And there'll be an opportunity later to respond if that's you. The Apostle Paul and others were entrusted with the revealing of the mystery of the church. And the question I want to put before you today is, what is God entrusting you with? What is God entrusting you with. Now I know that we have a generic answer to that if we think about Matthew 28 verse 19 says therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay that's that's, that's a commission that's true for all of us. But what are the specifics that God is entrusting you with? Who has he put you alongside? How has he gifted you what has he called you to what has he put on your heart that you can't let go of and would give everything to see what has God entrusted you with and are you giving yourself in pursuit of it what has God entrusted you with we all know, yes, okay, we're church. And we all know, I could probably tell you what God has entrusted other people with. What has God entrusted you with? What has he put on your heart that you just have to see? What has he placed in you that burns within you? I just would give my life to see that. See, the answer to this question, what he's got entrusted you with, is not nothing. Now, it might be that you don't know. But God, in his wisdom, has entrusted different things to each of us as we continue to have the joy of Jesus being revealed through us. Now, as I was uh, walking here uh, this morning, I was walking through the park, and obviously the seasons are changing, and all the trees are beginning to uh, shed their leaves. And um, 
a lot of trees now looking just like all the leaves are gone. And, and it's interesting that uh, when you get to winter and, and you walk through the park and there's just tree after tree after tree with no visible sign of life on it at all. And you look and you think, well, that, you know, that tree looks dead. There's nothing outside of it at all that looks alive. And yet inside that tree is teeming with life just waiting for the right moment or waiting for the right season or waiting for the right conditions to come. And in spring, that will burst back into life again. And I just felt some of us here, some of us here kind of view ourselves as a bit like trees in winter. We feel like we're dead. We feel like, maybe feel like we've got nothing to give. Feel like there's nothing going on. I've got nothing happening, and yet, despite that, inside of you, you're teeming with life, just waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and blow. That's the picture that came back from Colombia, isn't it? That there were coals that were there, but they were waiting for the breath of the Holy Spirit to just bring them to flame. And some of you here are just feeling like that. That actually, I feel, I feel like I'm dead. I feel like I'm a tree with no leaves. But actually, there's life within you. And the Holy Spirit is coming and has come and is going to come to blow life and bring to flame these coals that are inside of you, just waiting. So with that in mind, I just, I just want to take a moment to pray for you before I move on. Because uh, God is entrusting each of you with different things. No one is excluded. And so I just ask you to close your eyes where you are. I just want to pray, Holy Spirit, would you stir in us what you are entrusting us with? Would you blow up on the coals in our lives? And would you bring to flame revival? Not just in our hearts and not just in the church, but with the things and the people that you've entrusted us with. Would you blow on us now? Would you encourage us now? Would you alight again within us a passion for the things that you've placed within us? And maybe where we don't know what it is you're calling us to, would you just release that amongst us now? Would you release dreams and visions? Would you place within us things that we can't let go of, that just grip us so much that we can't let go of them? We have to see them. And would you begin to blow and bring them to flame now? Not just for this day, not just for this moment, but, but begin to blow and bring a flame that then sets fire around us as we go alongside the people you've called us to and to the places you've placed us in, full of life. Amen. This passage then continues in verse 8. Apostle Paul says, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. 
These verses are such an encouragement because in them we see that we are not to discount ourselves and we are not to discount others. The Apostle Paul presents himself as being the least deserving of all all God's people. And and that just seems crazy, because this is the guy who wrote half the New Testament. This is the guy who took the gospel to unreached people groups, planting churches and raising up leaders. This guy seems like the super-Christian, and yet he writes of himself here, though I I am the least deserving. And we think, well, that doesn't seem right at all. This guy's amazing. But remember, this is the man who, before meeting Jesus, was actively trying to destroy the church. This is the man who was persecuting and causing pain to Christians. This is the man who was putting them in prison and who was approving of their death. This is the man who looked on approvingly as Stephen was stoned to death for following Jesus. And Paul was looking on with them. Kill him. Kill him. This is, this is who this is. And yet Jesus, in his awesome mercy, took Paul and saved him and gave him the privilege of taking the gospel of Jesus to the world. But Paul is so aware that he's worthy because Jesus has made him worthy, not because of anything he's done in his own strength. Some of you discount yourselves from God using you. Maybe because you feel weak, or maybe because you feel unworthy, or maybe because you feel sinful, or maybe because you feel ashamed, or maybe because you feel a failure, or for some other reason, some version of the belief, God wouldn't use someone like me, lives within you. I think probably at various times in our lives, we all wrestle with that thought. But here today, there are some of us who are believing that lie. God wouldn't use someone like me. But the Apostle Paul was someone who encouraged murder, oppression, imprisonment of Christians, and Jesus saved him and worked through him. And do you know what the difference is between the Apostle Paul and you? Nothing. Not, not one thing. If God can take him and work through him, God can take you and work through you. Because it turns out that God specialises in working through the weak and the broken. Never ever believe the lie that God won't work through you. Don't ever discount yourself. That, that is just A hateful lie. It's a hateful lie designed to keep us sitting on our seats, not responding to God, discounting ourselves. It's a lie of the enemy. You see, the reality is that it isn't about you or your strength. What I guess I've realised over time, and it's always a lesson you keep on learning, is that God doesn't need my strength but he is looking for my obedience. God doesn't doesn't need my strength. He doesn't need how awesome I am. And, you know, I have better and worse days. God isn't looking for my awesomeness to work through. 
God understands that I'm weak and that I'm broken and that I get things wrong and that I stuff up and that I'm still a work in progress. Uh, And yet, his glory is made manifest in my weakness. That That he would take someone like me and work through me and reveal himself through me. And so he's not looking for your strength, but he is looking for your obedience. He doesn't need you to be awesome, he just needs you to say yes. I guess Richard Eaton is one of our living testimonies of that. His own testimony is he spent years in this church sitting in row three, four, or five, filling a chair, not really going anywhere. And then, what? three, four, five years ago, just felt like a conviction that whatever God said to him, he's going to say yes. And what's happened in a short space of time, God has raised this man up as he said yes, not because Richard is awesome, but because Richard has chosen to say, I want to be obedient and say yes to him. God doesn't need your strength, but he is looking for you to say yes to him. It's about him, not us. It's about the Spirit of working us. As the Spirit moves amongst us, it's about Him moving amongst us and raising us up and working through us. So we're encouraged not to discount ourselves, but we're also encouraged not to discount others because the wonderful news of the gospel is that no one is beyond the reach of the gospel. And I guess the Apostle Paul himself is testimony to that himself. I mean, I guess if you lived at the time and you asked people, who is the least likely person to become a Christian, they would have said to you, this guy, the Apostle Paul. Who is the least likely? This guy, the man who is actively trying to destroy the church. And if God can bring him into the family of God, he can bring anybody into the family of God. And we should be filled with tremendous confidence in the gospel of Jesus because no one is beyond his reach. And by faith, we need to believe that and live accordingly. Rich or poor, the neighbour who doesn't seem interested, the family member who won't talk about it, the work colleague living an awful godless lifestyle, criminals, oppressors, the violent, the bully, other religions, Muslims, transgender people, homosexuals, the adulterous, the drug or gambling or drink or porn addicted. No matter who you can think of, no one is beyond the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ to save and to make new creations. No one. says in Ephesians 2 verse 13, once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Don't discount anybody from responding to Jesus Christ, no matter how unlikely it may seem in the natural. Okay, and we do, we do that. We have, we have natural eyes on, okay, we're called to walk with spiritual eyes. We have natural eyes on and we look and we discount people because they look like they just would never be interested or look at how they're living or whatever. You scout people. You don't know where they are in their life. You don't know what God is doing. So we want, oh Lord, give us spiritual eyes. Jesus is the champion over all things and he's building his church and nothing and no one will stop him. And so I want you to just take a second. I want you to close your eyes. And you may or may not be able to do this, but I want you to call to mind someone 
who you think is the most unlikely person you know who would respond to the gospel. It might be a family member, it might be a work colleague, it might be a neighbour. Call that person, just get them in your mind. The person you think, of all the people I know, this is the least likely person ever to become a Christian. And just hold them in your mind. I'm just going to pray. Lord, your word to us is one of revival. Your word to us is one of coming and bringing new life and saving people. Your gospel knows no limits. There is no one beyond your reach. And so, Lord, in this season, we just believe by faith that all these people who we think, these are the most unlikely of people. If you can reach them, you can reach anybody. Well, Lord, you can reach them. And so just now, I just pray that you would break down walls, that you would open hearts, that you begin to bring life to these people we have in our minds, the unlikely people, the people who think we, we count and discount and say, no, surely not. Lord, would you bring life? Would you bring salvation? Would you come now and would you begin to stir within them questions? Would you begin to stir within them yearnings for you? Would you begin to stir within them, Lord, a, a desire to be saved, Lord? And would you give opportunities, Lord, this week and in the weeks ahead that you might speak through us and bring these people to yourself? You say once you were far away, but now you have been brought close through the blood of Jesus Christ. There are no no-go areas for the gospel. No one is beyond his reach. And Lord, for all these unlikelies, I pray now that you would break in through your power and through the Holy Spirit and that you would draw these people to yourself and give opportunities for your gospel to be shared and for people to respond and for you to be glorified because you're about a great thing. And the word over us is revival, where we're going to take you at your word, Lord, and we're going to be praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying again that you would save people and bring them to yourself. Amen. I just want to encourage you, um, keep praying. Don't let it die here. We do that on Sundays. That was nice. Whoever you're thinking of, commit yourself to praying for them the next day and the next day and the next day. Look to bless them. Jesus is building his church and the prophetic word over us is one of revival. How are you going to respond? What are you going to do? What does that look like for you? Okay, well, maybe it looks like okay, I'm going to start praying for the people I know who don't know Jesus. And I'm going to keep praying and keep praying and keep praying because I believe the word over us is one that Jesus is going to save people. And so don't stop here. Keep praying. This passage today concludes in verse 10. Paul continues that God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you so that you should feel honoured. 
And that's where we conclude our reading today. As Jesus builds his church, as we are one new family in him, we see that the purpose of God is to display his church to all creation as a demonstration of his rich and glorious wisdom. Some translations of the Bible say this of manifest wisdom. Some say uh, multifaceted wisdom. Basically, God's plan is that his church would show his wisdom, his power, and his love, and his grace, and his mercy, and his diversity, and his abundance, and his generosity, and his majesty, and his holiness, and his glory, and his greatness, and his joy, and his authority, and a million more things to all of creation. In fact, the passage says that the church would be a demonstration to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We don't tend to read this bit of this passage. Not only is the church a demonstration to the physical world, the church of Jesus Christ is a demonstration to the spiritual world. I mean, I think this is literally saying to us that that kind of Satan and all his minions and all the angels of the Lord are looking on at the church of Jesus Christ in wonder, seeing the awesomeness of God demonstrated through it. We don't always think in spiritual terms. We're quite a physical people, but, but we're spiritual beings. The church is a spiritual body. Not only is the church a demonstration to the physical world, but the spiritual world. Angels are looking on in wonder at the church of Jesus Christ. We don't think that because we look at the church and think, that's what we do so often. We're aware of our own failings and we're certainly aware of each other's failings. Angels are looking on in wonder at what God is doing through Jesus. The church is a fantastic demonstration to all of creation of how wonderful and amazing God is. See, it's about him. It's not about us. I mean, I, I preached this a few weeks ago. It's not what, God, what is God's plan for my life. It's what part do I get to play in his glorious plan. It's about him. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that I don't have a big enough view of the church of Jesus Christ, of the family that we are in him. I don't have a big enough view of the church. And I pray to pray, Lord, just open my eyes to the glory of your church. The church is described in the Bible as the bride of Christ. And as I think about this, I, I realise that I don't treasure the church nearly enough. It's his bride. We, this, the church, church universal, the church in this town, the church here today, gathered together, we are his bride. It's God's church. We're his people, we're God's family, and we get to show the beauty and wonder of our gods as his church. How are you treating the bride of Christ? Now let's imagine um, I invited you around my house for dinner. And uh, when we were there, uh, you know, my wife, who's a lovely cook, cooked you a lovely meal. And uh, we've got the next slide, Janet. That's, uh, you can book two tickets, see me afterwards, we'll make it happen. Uh, that's our summer holiday this year. Um, <laughs> somehow in the midst of it being the hottest summer ever, uh, we managed to find the beach on that day. But um, I invited you around and, and you know, my wife prepared a meal for you. And 
And through the course of the evening, what you said to me was, oh, can I just let you know, I just... I don't really like the way that your wife dresses. And, um, you know, her voice just grates on me. Just could you tell her to be a bit, bit quieter? And um, this, food was, this food was awful. And uh, if I come here again, I don't, could you get takeaway? I don't, I don't, I don't want you to... And um, just, just, you know, there's something about her that just... Makes me feel a bit sick. And, um, and if you were to come to my house and say that about my wife to me, at some point during the evening, I probably would bop you on the nose. <laughs> you know, it would probably happen. I'd be repentant afterwards. But, <laughs> but at some point, because I'd want you in my house to be quite thoughtful about how you treat my wife, how you treat, she's my bride. How do we talk about the bride of Christ? Well, you know, packed to the rafters. Why, why are we quite so quick to come and talk about the bride of Christ like that? Because let's be honest, so often I can tell you all the things I don't like about the church. And there are things, let's not be honest, you know. We're, all, we're, we're people with our different, we're all people with different issues who come together and our issues hit against each other. Okay, we're imperfect people being made perfect. So we're not perfect. But if I was to come and ask you after the, ch- after the church finished, you could probably all tell me 10 things that you don't like about church. Can you tell me why church is awesome? Why is church awesome? Can you tell me why church is amazing? Can you tell me why this is fantastic? Can you tell me why this is a privilege to be part of this? You see, we're just... I'm not that careful about how I talk about the bride of Christ. And actually, maybe I should be. And it's because I don't see it as the bride of Christ. I don't see it in the right way. And so my prayer is, oh Lord, would you open my eyes to the fact that this is your family. This is your church. And as that way, I want to be careful how I talk about it and treat you. I want to be switched on to what a privilege it is to be part of the bride of Christ. And yes, we're all different and yes we all have our weird and peculiar ways but what a privilege that God has called us to be family together and that we're united in him and that somehow through us through you and through me and through us God is demonstrating not just to the world but to all of creation his wisdom and his beauty and his wonder How incredible is that, that through me, with all my flaws and failings, because I know what I'm like, and you know what you're like, and yet through us, God is demonstrating his beauty and his majesty. It's just a wonderful thing. I want to have a much bigger, wider, broader perspective of the awesome, beautiful church of Jesus Christ that makes even the angels look on in praise and wonder. I want to behold the church with praise and worship and wonder and thankfulness. Through you and I, God is demonstrating his awesomeness to all of creation. Not just here when we gather, when the church is gathered, but wherever you are during the week. As I was walking in, there's a couple of guys, I guess, from whichever C of E church, all their robes on, walking up to Paris Avenue, going somewhere. I just felt God nudge me and say, you know, actually, it's not about just when you're gathered. It's about where you are in the week. 
So we're not just demonstrating the wonders of God here when we come together and we sing together and we're, we're all together in one place. Um, where you are tomorrow, in your workplace or in your family or when you're shopping or somewhere else, in that place, even if it's just you, you are the church and you're displaying, through you God is displaying his wonders and his majesty. We need to have our eyes open to that, that wherever you are, wherever you are, God is displaying to all of creation his wonders. It's not just about being gathered. It's in your workplaces, when you're mixing them together with just all the non-Christians in the world, God through you is displaying who he is. I want to finish by giving you an opportunity to respond. Verse 12 says, because of Christ, our faith in him, our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So you see, the joy for us is that whenever we need to, we're free to come in boldly and confidently into God's presence. There's no barrier. And so I want to give you the opportunity to do that now with four areas that I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to. Firstly, if you're here today, and in fact, no, first I'm going to let you stand. Let me get you stand first. So four areas up there. If you came here today and you're not a Christian, but you want to know Jesus, I'm going to ask you to respond. If you're here today and you've been the person I was talking about who discounts yourself and believes the lie that God wouldn't use someone like you, I want you to respond. If you need to repent of your attitude towards the church and the bride of Christ, I want you to respond. And if you're here today and you need healing, we've heard great testimony about how God heals. I want you to respond. And so I want you to do that now. And there is, by the grace of God, a massive space at the front of this church. And so I'm going to ask you to come and do that now if any of those four things are you. And I'm going to give you 30 seconds, although I don't have a second hand on my watch, so quite what I'm looking at for is a mystery. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. I'm going to ask you to respond now. Just come forward. We'll have some people pray with you. Remember, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. There's no shame and there's no guilt. We can come boldly and confidently into God's presence.